0: This is the Comstock Report Podcast. We are strong advocates for the American family farm and your top source for the agriculture markets.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Matthew Cruz at Comstock Investments. I am here in Des Moines, Iowa at our office, and I also have Eric Ralph joining me from our main office of Royal Iowa. How are you doing, Eric?
0: Doing well. How's it going down there, other than getting ready for some triple-digit temperatures?
1: Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yep, yep. It uh, It's looking like we're going to have some good uh, lake weather or, or beach weather here next week. So <laughs> yeah. enjoy the 80-degree the, the weather while you can.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a little uh, hectic on Okoboji in the mid-80s all weekend this weekend with no real chances of rain. So that should be uh, a little excitement.
1: Yeah, that's right. You look at the forecast, at least in our, uh, neck of the woods, the next 10 days is pretty, uh, empty. You know, we're not going to see much, um rainfall relief at all. I had to go to kind of the 16 day forecast before I start to see something happening there. So around August 6th, maybe we can expect to see some moisture relief come back in. So, you know, in our specific case, I think we'll be able to get by okay. Uh, we do have enough subsoil moisture in our area, but I know a lot of people don't and so it's as we've talked about before it 's just really spotty that uh, I mean you can go fifty miles away or even less, you go ten or twenty miles away, and just the the soil profile uh scenario can change very quickly and so uh, i don 't know if you're you've seen kind of the same thing happen,
0: oh yeah, yeah, and actually um have a client in Larchwood, Iowa, which is northwest of here, getting closer to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who told me, I believe it was Tuesday, it was about 73 degrees, and the corn was already flashing white, um, and he's got low-tier uh, firing going on already. So there's definitely some struggle spots out there. I got a video today from one of our clients who's seven miles from the office, and and you made comment about the subsoil moisture. That's what's going to carry because he actually has a creek running through his, his cattle farm that, uh, that creek doesn't dry up very often. And it's really close. He said it might be the first time in his life. He's had two consecutive years where that thing goes dry and, and, uh, the video sure looked like he was within a week or two, maybe without some meaningful rain. So he may get there before we get that rain. If we get it, cause we know how reliable those forecasts are.
1: Yeah, well, we're obviously entering the period of time here where, uh, things get serious, right? Where the, uh, the heat picks up and the, the moisture demand starts to rise and peak and, and we're entering into pollination and, uh, so I think that the weather now is more, more critical, right? We've been pretty fortunate to have the, the cooler days and even more cooler nights, um, but it doesn't look like, looks like that our luck's starting to run out there. And so I see a lot of, uh, high 90 degree days coming our way here
0: yeah and triple digits once you get i don't know if you want to say consistently south of i-80 but but pretty much i mean south of i-80 across the growing region you're going to see triple digits everywhere texas arkansas louisiana tennessee alabama they've already been experiencing that relentlessly uh and it's just migrating up here north and you know the the areas of lighter soil, we, you know, we talk about, okay, the subsoil moisture here will carry, but you know, this is very unique ground. It's very heavy We're carrying 11 inches of subsoil moisture is just almost unheard of across the country. So while we can say, yeah, well, that's probably going to save us here, uh, any variation in soil type or much distance from here. And that's not the case. So how widespread is that? and i think that becomes more the concern and, and you know a lot of these guys were suffering really bad when the ear size was being determined you know when your row counts were being determined and and that's something that you know i talked to to one producer that he said he hadn't seen that uh that drought cycle that early drought cycle when the ear size was being uh determined since 1988 and he said that was uh that was a pretty scary uh, yield, you know, of course that was a different era and the yields weren't as high, but, but the, the reduction from APH at that time was just astronomical. And so I, I don't know if it's going to be October before we see the realities of the potential here.
1: Yeah. And, and you were talking about different locations and where they're seeing rainfall. You know, that's another thing. I was looking at the, the, uh, corn production map and where most of the corn is actually raised. And so it's not necessarily equally distributed across the state right and so in the case of iowa you know the majority of our corn is all in the northern part of iowa or you could even say north of i-80 and so if it rains south of i-80 it's really not doing much for the corn crop and, and in the state of iowa, iowa. right yeah, yeah in the state of iowa yeah and uh and so it, and it varies too in illinois a lot of the the corn is predominantly in the northern and kind of eastern regions, not that you can't, obviously there's a lot of corn in the western and central parts, but, uh, the, the, it's much more highly, uh, concentrated in those northern and eastern areas. And so sure. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of rain that's come into southern Iowa, which, uh, is, you know, help the corn there, but it's not near as dense the the corn um populations there is, is what you're gonna find in other areas of the state, and so I think that a lot of times the 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 market or the trade sees this rainfall coming into this into the state and you know takes it as gospel that okay, everything's been saved and it's gotten its rainfall, but uh that's not necessarily the case if if a greater portion of the the production is located in a different area. Sure. So that was just something, you know, that, uh, made me think a little bit about, uh, you know, where some of these rainfall is, is actually hitting. Um, you know, I talked to, uh, David Shively the other day, who's in our office in Northeast Missouri. Uh, he's only half an hour or so from the, uh, Western border of Illinois. And, uh, they've had a really rough go of it. They planted really early and he says that he already knows that half of their corn crop is, is, won't be harvested. It's done. And, uh, and so it's, it's been tough, you know, and I yeah. don't know how big of an area that is. That's the question, right? Is it, uh, localized enough or it's not going to have an impact on the markets? Um, but you can imagine if, if the half of his farm isn't even good enough to be harvested, the other half doesn't mean the other half is going to do 250 or 300. You know, it's, it's maybe worth to run the combine through it, but it's probably not going to produce any stellar yields either.
0: Well, and it might be more worthwhile to run a, a, uh, silage chopper through it, you know, yeah. um, I, I, I don't know how, what the consistency is, but I will say that I've got a client about 250 miles south, southwest of David, also in the state of Missouri, who said that half the corn around there will be left in the field and the other half will get chopped for silage. So it could be fairly widespread when you talk about that area.
1: You know, I think the, the, all eyes, of course, are on the weather. And, and, uh, you know, we do see some precipitation coming in, uh, into Illinois here in the next 10 days. It seems like it's shifted a little bit where the western part of the corn belt was getting more of the moisture. And now it seems like it's leaning more towards the eastern belt, uh, going forward, which is what we've seemed like we've experienced that the last two or three years. And so, uh, you know, but, uh, so that's probably going to help out some of those areas that have been short on, on rain. You know, the reports that we get back from our, our office in Illinois are that, uh, a lot of the corn is, looks decent enough, but you do see some signs of stress, some, some, uh, nitrogen deficiency. Um, you know, the, the corn is all shorter, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, it's five feet tall, six feet tall. And, and, you know, we know that that's not a very good indication of a lot of times what the yield is going to be. But, uh, at the same time, it's still hard to imagine that that, five foot tall horn is going to have those heavy test weights and those rules really right big that we like to see
0: right yeah and and kind of you know on the topic of weather I, we also have our office in garden city kansas and that's where i'm from and have a lot of contacts there and so i see a lot of things through social media and i started out this morning by seeing a lot of posts about flooding basements And as I scrolled through Facebook, I started seeing more and more and more of similar type things. And I I saw rain gauges anywhere from three and a half to five and a half inches in southwest Kansas over a 24-hour period. There was some severe weather mixed in with that. But then I started seeing producers down in that area posting videos of fields just completely flooded, look like lakes. So what was going to be maybe some record type production for that region based on good rainfall this year to date now a lot of those fields will be lost because they're literally underwater. So, so it, it's talk- extreme both sides, Both, you know,
1: so let's talk about the kind of the price activity that we saw this week. I mean, obviously we, we rallied um, quite a bit, but then here in the last, uh, mostly today we started yesterday and today that we've pulled back off of those highs. We're getting, getting closer here and seeing some moisture come back in. Uh, what do you think is happening there? What do you think the the reason is for that?
0: Well, I mean, you put 82 cents on the corn and a little over a dollar on the soybeans in uh, a week, Yeah, right at five sessions. And so you're going to need some kind of a reprieve, and maybe what we saw today was enough. Uh, there is a little bit of uh, chart study that could be done on the December to think that, 533 should have been a hold point on a closing basis in the December and maybe not. You know, a 50% retracement obviously of that 82 cent move would be 41 cents off the high. That takes you down to about 522. So that may be more of a target here for the short term. Um uh, soybeans, I, you know, that chart action doesn't look as good. We traded over a dollar higher and then we come, uh, what, 27 cents off the high, uh, in, in two days. You know, not a big move. Uh, we could, we could be looking for a 38% retracement, you know, which should take us down to about 1385 to 90, which was our low today. Maybe that was enough. Uh, maybe we're going to push that to the 50 or 62% retracement of that move. So, uh, getting a little overly technical there for most listeners, I would say, but the reality is, is there's still some downside risk here. And I think weather was the driver to initiate the correction. But corrections are healthy, and I don't think we've seen the end of this thing yet.
1: Yeah, I, and that was my next point is it seems like something has started to to shift here uh, with the corn because the corn has just gotten the crap kicked out of it here in the last month or two. And uh, it just seems like we've uh, finally found our, our bottom, at least temporarily. And just with the way that the weather has panned out so far this year that we can maybe begin to start to build a – More of a a bullish scenario, um, going forward because, uh, as we know, the USDA is pretty slow about making their, their crop yield adjustments. And so I, we didn't know, I don't think anyone thought they were necessarily going to do it all in the first, uh, month of July here. And so I guess I would like to see the USDA make some additional cuts or that's what I look for in, in the August report. I've seen some numbers, you know, down to 173. That seems to be a, a fair estimate. Uh, you know, some come in below that, but I, I'm not at in that place yet, but I could see us still cut another three or four bushels per acre off of the national yield. Do you agree with that or, or am I, uh, just being too overly optimistic?
0: No, I, I say I would agree. You know, we talk to people from all over the country all day, every day, and there are definitely more in the negative camp as far as the crop conditions than there are in the positive camp. and And I think you're seeing that reflected in the crop condition reports every Monday afternoon. That's going to be a major focal point. If we do get this heat, we lack the moisture over the next couple of weeks. We should have a couple of weeks of degradation in those condition ratings and so that could be enough to propel us even further. Now, the USDA, you kind of play the odds there. They're going to slow roll things. They're not going to give you more than half of what they anticipate in a July report. Well, they give us four. So if we start with a 181.5, uh, they give us four. Say odds are that's probably half of their expected cut. Now we are one seventy 173.5. That puts us right in line with what we're talking about.
1: You know, in the, in the case of wheat, we had a, a really good pop-up this week. Uh, we're unable to sustain it, unfortunately. Does that mean, the it's all over for the wheat. We're going to go back and make a new low. Uh, or, or was the wheat just kind of falling in the corn a little bit?
0: No, I think, I think the wheat was just, uh, micro focused on what Putin was doing all week. You know, you had what three, four nights of, uh, missile barrages on the port of Odessa. Um, and not just. You know uh untargeted i mean they were they were specifically targeting infrastructure and and grain handling capabilities for for many nights and had several fatalities and a lot more injuries and so that was a that was a big deal however, technical resistance held in all three classes and then gives us a little shove back here and like I said, corrections are healthy, but uh the wheat market is so subject to those headlines that uh it's a little difficult for traders to trust now.
1: It seems like for Russia that war has gone from bad to worse because, it, it, you know, they aren't making up any ground. And so now it seems in the last week, they've been targeting the port infrastructure, which they've kind of left alone up until this point, but they're starting to see that they're, they're going to lose ground here. And so they'd rather leave Ukraine with nothing, uh, rather than something. And, uh, just reading here at this, at this point, you know I think we talked about this in in previous podcasts that there's been enough time now it's been uh what a year and a half since this invasion began yeah and it's it's given the ukraine and other countries enough time to create these alternative channels and so they have the capacity to ship out 40 million metric tons through uh basically truck it out through through dry land and through the danube river um which closely matches what their historical exports have been and so um they're no longer as highly dependent on those that ocean exports is what they used to and so i think that's why the market's probably gonna shrug a lot of this off but uh um there there's still possibilities that they could go after some of those uh facilities in in the the western part of the Ukraine where they are shipping out through some of the river waterways there but uh but so far Russia's on the eastern side prim- primarily limited to the eastern side of the country and so right. uh I I, I think that's going to have a hard time that happening.
0: Yeah, the the rivers become very critical. I mean it would be no different than here in the US if you cut off the Mississippi then you're you're basically going to trucking grain to New Orleans or wherever. Only now New Orleans is under attack. So what do you do? You go to the PNW, you know, that's, it's a similar type situation. Obviously the, the distance is variable, but that, that's kind of what they're having to deal with. So what they're doing now is railing and trucking and river when they're used to just going straight to the port. And it's logistically, it's a nightmare for them because it's not what they're used to. They don't know how to pivot quickly. And like I said, been no different than us cutting off the Mississippi as a means to move grain. You know, we saw what happened last year when the river got too dry; the water levels were too low to move grain. It was, it was terrible. And luckily, it didn't last too long. But similar type situation for them, and and yeah, they figured a workaround, but it's got to be more expensive and just a logistical nightmare.
1: Yeah. The other thing I see going in. Corn's favor anyway as crude oil prices continue to to trade higher and lean higher um you know we're at still trading at our summer highs for the moment sure. um, you know we're we're at our you know close higher here for the week and and so i I guess you know it's it's signaling that it wants to you know keep moving higher and so I think that's got to be good news for ethanol margins wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, ethanol margins. Um, you're also seeing some follow through today. One of the only bright spots in the entire grain complex was the bean oil and crude oil was no small part, uh, to, had no small part to play in that. Um, you, you've got global vegetable oils are at multi-month highs. No matter what you're looking at, palm, canola, uh, soybean oil, they're, they're all very high relative to recent levels and crude oil making you know, actually made a new high today, although it hasn't sustained right at the high. Uh You get much more than this uh, on Monday and you could have a, another breakout from this level. And then you're targeting low 80s, which is probably four to five dollars higher yet. Uh So, yeah, that's I mean, ethanol margins are there. They've been there the whole time. And here we have corn going in opposite directions as crude oil, which just makes it even more feasible for these uh crushers to make money.
1: Should maybe shift to the cattle here a little bit so um I don't people probably won't like this opinion but I, I kind of feel like we're setting up here uh sooner rather than later for another pullback in the market um you know just the way that we've had this strong move sharply higher with the corn I think is going to weigh on the the feeder cattle prices um the way I look at the read the charts it just seems like we're due for for another pullback I'd have to say that this week it kind of gave more I guess uh argument or ammunition for that uh, argument. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Do you see that? Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, that's moving higher or do you think we're due for another pullback?
0: Uh, I, I, I'm of the opinion that we're due for another pullback. Now I, I can look at the feeder cattle chart and really since the 3rd of July, we've gone sideways. You've got a couple spike highs, a couple of spike lows, but really since, since July 3rd, we've just gone sideways and that is something that's this market has not done for that kind of duration ever since this bull run started. Now today we got cattle inventory numbers. They were in line with expectations. I, I would say that the market was, was maybe more poised and I'm talking about market participants, not the trade guesses that we see, but I, I would say the market was maybe poised for a slightly bullish leaning report and we didn't get that. And then the cattle on feed come out and the, uh, the placement number. Was anything but bullish. I mean, you had a, uh, the trade looking for 98% placed and we, we come in at the, I think a 103. Uh, there's just still nowhere else for these cattle to go. And so they're going to commercial feed and the numbers just keep coming. Uh, it's not backing down as far as the, those cattle coming on to feed. So this was uh this was maybe the data that could trigger that correction at a point where the market has some energy built up from going sideways for a couple of weeks straight and and that may start as early as Monday.
1: How do the pasture improvements play into that because we've seen obviously the a lot of these areas have seen improved rainfall here lately so that's uh I haven't seen the the pasture ratings Lately, I don't know if you have, but I would think that that has improved quite a bit lately, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, I think you had, uh, and I'm going back a couple months here, you had something like 70% of cattle country was in drought conditions. And today that numbers at something under 40, 37 maybe. Um, so roughly half uh, of cattle, of, of the cattle country that was suffering from drought conditions is today. Yeah, that's a lot of improvement. The improvements have come in Montana, Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, Kansas, and you've still got this massive problem in uh Missouri leaning into Tennessee, Kentucky, and Illinois, and then all the way down into Texas, portions of Texas. Now, the Panhandle's been touted as having some pretty significant rainfall all year, and that's true, but the Panhandle isn't the only place there's cattle in Texas by any stretch. So, you you kind of you kind of rob Peter to pay Paul in a sense and those cattle are still flooding to commercial feed and the other thing is is you know a place like Missouri uh highest number of cows uh not cattle but cows of any state in the US a lot of cow calf operators and backgrounders in the state of Missouri and they have no hay they have limited grass if any and they don't want to pay the price for corn and they're looking at a crop that is just all but gone already
1: you know, switching to what's going on in South America, you know, Brazil is now, I think, over halfway through their Safrinha corn harvest, which is their second crop corn and their largest corn crop. So they're coming with all sorts of private estimates on what the size of that is going to be. I think most people agree it's going to be a large crop, a good crop for them. Uh, the question is exactly how much. And so there's still a, a fairly wide range of what that's going to be. Conab's last July estimate, I think was at 127 million metric tons for the entire crop. Uh, there was a private estimate that I think just was released yesterday or two days ago. And, uh, that was close to 137 million metric tons. So a 10 million metric ton difference. You're talking like with 360, 370 million bushel difference there. And so, um, it looks like it's leaning towards a larger crop there. And, uh, you know, they're, they're already at the end. So there's not much that can change that now. And so with a uh, larger crop generally are going to come larger exports as well. And it looks like they are going to surpass the the United States and and move in the first place for global corn exports. Um, they're probably going to be over 2 million, 2 billion bushels for exports. Um, where, uh, I think what was the last, uh, uh number the usda had for the us was like 1.75 around Seven something yeah yeah mm-hmm. a billion bushels and so um you know th- not to say that in the future that uh um uh, the us can't catch back up and 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 retake the number one spot but uh that's kind of where they're at now they're looking for record uh exports coming out of brazil there so i should mention we are also already starting to fill up for our Brazil farmland tour that we've, we've done uh, a couple of times already with that takes place in January. And so there's just a uh, two or three spots left on that tour. And so people seem to have enjoyed that in the past and gone down and see these, these huge, uh, massive mega farms of soybeans in the Mato Grosso. And, and, uh, and we, we enjoy a little bit of beach time in Rio too.
0: Yeah. You created a monster by taking them down there. You had to start the year with a waiting list, right? Yeah.
1: And so far uh everyone's made it back. Okay. So, uh, so <laughs> haven't is any, any huge we haven't lost either. any of the tour participants. So <laughs> I keep thinking we're going to lose one or two <laughs> to uh,
0: the, to the trip in Rio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh one, one question I, I have about Brazil and, and I know you, you've got a pretty good pulse on this is so it's South America in general. So, the El Nino pattern is kind of stalling. It's not really shifting quickly. Uh, very, there's no dramatic shift here. So is like Mato Grosso do Sul, Paraná, the southern states of Brazil and going into Argentina, are they still, I mean, are we expecting major improvement there? What are we seeing so far?
1: Well, here this, uh, would be our summer, be their winter season down there in the, in southern part of Brazil and Argentina. They have gotten a lot of rainfall. Uh, what's come in at the end, basically, you know, it started to pick, finally pick up at their harvest. By that time, you know, their corn and soybean crops had been decimated and, and, you know, were were heavily drought impaired. Uh, it it has, it's done a couple of things. I think it's helped their wheat, uh, production, their winter wheat production, um, which is fine. And it's, it's probably, uh, you know, I don't know that they have a, a very large soil um moisture capacity but it's helped to fill up some of those subsoil reserves a little bit as well now whether that continues on into the next planting season is another story right but
0: uh and so what's yeah, that? La-
1: the around? last few months basically it, it, we have seen improved rainfall in those areas but it came it was too little too late for for the the grain crop put it that way Yeah in in El Niño years typically what you do see is uh uh rainfall improvements in southern Brazil uh, versus northern brazil and, and of course southern brazil is right next to argentina the main production regions in argentina that we've talked about and so um that's kind of what i think most people are looking for and expect to happen but uh as we're seeing here in the united states i think in the spring everyone was looking for El nino to show up and right away and that didn't happen either and so uh, right. things things can change so
0: so so when is the general start of that next planting season then
1: It depends on where you're at. Uh, I would say, you know, in, uh, you know, there, there are areas that will start in September, as early as September. I would say the, in Mato Grosso, the prime growing window is in October. That's when most of the, the planters will roll, will roll. If they are able to plant in September, late September, they'll do it. You know, it's kinda like us trying to plant in April, I suppose, if we can, but it's doesn't always happen. But sure. you, you know, you'd like to. And so but most of their production is gonna get their crops gonna get planted there in, in September or excuse me, in October. And uh but it, it depends of course across the country. It's a big country and and uh where I used to farm there in Bahia that was more in the northeast. And our main Grow, uh, planting window was November. And so we were at least a month behind later, what, yeah. what Mata Grosso was. But, uh, most, most people, when they talk about Brazil, they're talking about Mata Grosso just because that's where so much of the production comes from. And so, yeah, you're looking, uh, for, a, uh, an early start in September, but uh, primarily they're going in October.
0: The month of October. Yeah. The month of okay. October.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they want to, they want to get done planted in October. So they're, Harvesting those soybean crop in January or February and putting corn in right behind it. So um, sure. that's their main impetus for getting an early start is to, you know, have time to to get the, the beans out so they can put the corn in
0: and working around the rainy seasons, right?
1: Yep. Yep. And you're getting there fighting the rainy seasons and it's stop and go a lot of times. Sure. Um, well, any, anything else for? Going into the weekend, what what your uh, our listeners or traders should be looking for?
0: Well, we're going to have another weekend of of uh, watch the radars, watch the temperatures, see what that deferred forecast maybe more than anything looks like, and then uh, be ready for Monday afternoon crop conditions.
1: All right. Well, thank you everyone. Thank you, Eric. Yep.
0: You guys, have a good one.
1: Stay safe. For a more complete
0: version of the Comstock Report with hedging strategies and trade recommendations.